Love is patient. That's what I titled the sermon today, Love is Patient, because Lauren and I have been talking recently about how interesting we find it that in that classic description of love that Paul provides for us in 1 Corinthians 13, it begins with patience as the very first characteristic. Now, I, I don't think that Paul was trying to write things in order and prioritize somehow the definition of love, but certainly there's some significance to the fact that when he gets ready to describe love, the Spirit of God so works in him so that the first thing that he says about love is the fact that it is patient. Now, now what that then means is, is, of course, that impatience is unloving. Losing your temper, losing your patience, being impatient isn't just a failure of temperament. It's a failure of love because love is patient. And let's work this through a little bit. If God is love and love is patient, then we can say that God is patient. And the scripture says exactly that, that God is patient. Or think of the synonyms, uh, that God is long-suffering or that he is slow to anger. That's what we saw in Exodus 34 this morning when we read that, the description that God gives of himself is that he is slow to anger. He is patient. And if patience is a quality, an attribute of the character of God, then it's unsurprising, is it not, that the spirit who is placed into us to renew us after the image of God to conform us more and more to the image of Christ, to reform us. It's unsurprising that that spirit of God should be at work inside of us, making us like God by producing patience in us, by making us to be more patient people. Now, we see in many places, and I think just needs to be clarified right at the outset, that spiritual fruit bearing is not a purely passive exercise. It's not that the spirit is at work in us producing patience. And so we go, great, I'm just going to wait for the spirit to do his work. Uh, in Colossians 3, for example, we are commanded to put on patience. You remember that from the summer sermon series last year, being clothed in Christ, being clothed in Christ, we are to clothe ourselves in Christ. And specifically speaking, one of the qualities which we are to put on is that of patience. James uses an example here that really, I think, helps to see this. He talks about the farmer. And he says, of course, that the farmer needs to be patient. He needs to wait for the first rains and he needs to wait for the last rains. And we get that. We understand that a farmer needs to be patient. But all we have to do is think about a farmer for just a moment. I mean, we could, we could consider what Paul says about a farmer in 2 Timothy. But all of us know that a farmer is also hardworking. He has to be patient to wait for the fruit to come, but he's not patient in a way that he's sitting back, just kind of twiddling his thumbs, sitting on the porch, waiting for stuff to grow. He's doing everything he possibly can to make it grow and to make it be fruitful. So today, what I want to do is I want to keep this simple, as simple as we can today. I want to know what we're talking about, why do we need it, and how we might grow in it. So we begin with this basic question, what is patience? And I think it's going to be helpful for us today to think about patience in two very basic ways. 
Think about patience in the little things, the day-to-day -day kind of things of life, and then think about patience as it relates to the big things of life, uh, significant, long-term type things. There's a, there's a root to both of those that is very similar, but the expression is a little bit different. In the, in the little stuff, in the day-to-day -day things, patience is keeping it together. It's staying cool. It's not losing your temper. Uh, to put it visually, it's not uh, uh, throwing or uh, kicking or hitting or screaming or yelling. It's not grumbling. Uh, one example there in verse nine, do not grumble against one another. Patience in the little things is the, those things, keeping it together, keeping your cool in the big things, the big picture. And that seems to be James' emphasis here in context. In the big picture, patience sounds more like endurance or to use a word that shows up in verse 11 of our text this morning, patience looks more like steadfastness when it's extended over time. In that respect, it's more like perseverance. It's the restraint of revenge. It's not giving up, it's not giving in, and it's not grumbling over the long haul. Patience is thus a calmness, a repose of one's soul. Now, let's be clear also, patience isn't ambivalence. It's not that you don't care about something. If you don't care about something, of course, you're not disturbed by it. You don't get any credit. You can't claim patience of a virtue just because you don't care about something and you didn't get upset about it. And patience is not stoicism as well. It's not just keeping a stiff upper lip when things go badly. James points to uh, suffering and the patience of the prophets. Uh, think, for example, he says this about, think of the prophets. Think for, of Jeremiah, because surely Jeremiah is in his mind when he's saying, think of the prophets and their suffering and their patience. And then he talks about the steadfastness of Job and of both, just to take those two examples, Jeremiah and Job, when we think about them, neither of them were uh, indifferent to what was going on around them or unaffected by it. So if we take Jeremiah, what that means is one can cry, lament, that's the, the passage we opened up with in the call to worship, and yet still be patient. Or if we think about Job for a moment, what that means is one can argue strongly with God and still be characterized as one who is steadfast, one who is enduring. Okay, so two types of patience then. We've got the long-term for endurance. We've got the short-term not being quick-tempered. And in our present circumstances, in this time of this virus, frankly, we're going to need both. We're going to need both. This thing isn't going to go away tomorrow. And the, the, the isolation, the joblessness, the sickness, the economic worries, the health worries that exist, they're going to be with us for a while. The implications of this are going to take a long time to play out. We're going to need endurance and in the short term as well because we're daily in situations that are really tight situations and the temptation is there to lose our patience on a daily basis and not just a long-term basis so that's what patience is why do we need patience well we can say we need patience as we've said before first of all to be like god um, because god is holy we should be holy because god is patient we should be patient to be loving if love is patient, then we need patience to be loving. But to say it simply, let's, let's just say it this way. We need patience because of the messed up world in which we live. The world is a mess. 
ugly in countless ways. James himself here is talking about suffering in general. He's talking about the oppressiveness and the oppression of the rich upon the poor. Job, who he pulls up as an example, has experienced just unprecedented loss and destruction. And the prophets all suffer injustice and ill treatment at the hands of men, just like our Lord Jesus did. And so, so to say it simply, we need patience because of uh, what Ecclesiastes 7 has to say about the world. I summarized it like this in a sermon a couple of years back. We live in a bent and a crooked world, and we cannot understand it, and we cannot fix it. And in such a world as that, God, God, who, who sees and comprehends the crookedness of this world far more deeply than we, God is exercising patience towards this world. That's uh, Second Peter. God is exercising patience toward this world. In general, towards the world. Why? Because he's waiting for the full number of his children whom he has called to repent in time. And so in the meantime, he is exercising patience. And it's not only that others might be saved, but frankly, God is exercising patience towards us. All we have to do is think, and we could spend a long time reflecting on this, how much have we tried the patience of God? And thus, Ecclesiastes 7 gives this exhortation, the patient is spirit is better than the proud in spirit. You're not quick in your spirit to become angry. And thus, James, in the midst of all of the suffering of the world, James says, be patient. Or in the words of the hymn, be still my soul, bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. And, and then finally, we ask this question. If we know what patience is, patience keeping your cool in short term, uh, enduring in the long term, if we know why we need to be patient because it's a messed up world, finally, we need to ask the question, how do you grow in patience? How do you grow in that? Now, now let's be completely clear. James in no way implies or insinuates that patience is some kind of a personality characteristic that some people have and some people don't. That's not it at all. Instead, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. It is part and parcel of putting on Christ, and therefore, nobody's off the hook. Nobody's, nobody can say, I'm just not a very patient person. Everybody is called to be clothed in it. In the world, there are all sorts of tips for being patient, right? Right. So something goes wrong, and you're supposed to count to 10. Or if you're struggling, you're supposed to do breathing exercises and inhale through your nose and exhale through your mouth and move your arms in a certain way. And some people need therapy for anger issues and for patience. And I suppose that in the world that some of these things are very helpful and some of them maybe not so helpful. But when we're talking about the word of God and we're talking about the instruction that the spirit of God gives us through this word for us to grow in patience and in our patience, then we see a slightly different approach. The Spirit says then this in James, if you want to grow in patience, then you have to remember your eschatology. There's a strange thing to say. If you want to grow in patience, you have to remember your eschatology. You have to remember the last things and the teaching about the last things. 
That's what he is saying. Until the coming of the Lord, verse 7. In verse 8, the Lord is at hand. The coming of the Lord is at hand. In verse 9, the judge is standing at the, at the door. James is saying, and the Spirit of God is saying, remember what Jesus said. What did Jesus say in John 14 that the disciples couldn't get into their heads? What he said was, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And when I come back, I'm going to judge the world. I'm going to set the worlds to right. And I am going to take you to be with me in the place I am preparing. You have to remember your eschatology and the coming of the Lord. And then the Spirit says, but you not only need to think forward, you need to think backwards as well. You need to remember. You need to remember that you, we, live in a line of people who have endured suffering. The, the blessed ones. The blessed ones are the ones who have, in fact, been patient and endured over time. And so the, the Spirit says, remember Job and remember the prophets. Remember what Jesus said, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then there's, there's just so much here. In verse 11, the Spirit of God says, Remember, you have seen the purpose of the Lord in the midst of whatever trial, whatever circumstances we're going through, whatever oppressions exist upon us from men. The reminder here is that the purpose of the Lord is being worked out, however cloudy it may seem to us. In John 14 through 17, the disciples simply could not comprehend how the going away of Jesus, how the death of Jesus could possibly serve for the purpose of the Lord, and yet that's exactly what was taking place. And that's what James says. You know the purpose of the Lord. And as he closes it, he says, and the purpose of the Lord is utterly consistent with the character of God, the God who is our Lord, compassionate and merciful. And that races us all the way back to Exodus chapter 34. The Lord, the Lord, a God, compassionate and merciful, or, or merciful and gracious, slow to anger, patient. And so the character of God is all set before us. And, and I think then what comes to us is the thing perhaps we can most embrace from this text this morning is in light of all that, the call from the Spirit of God says, and in light of the, the, the eschatology, in light of the, the lineage from which you come and the Lord's return, then remember this singular command in verse 8, establish your hearts, strengthen your hearts, fortify your hearts. If we want to have godly patience, then we need to consider and we need to consume what James has said here. We, we need to own these things so that these, these truths create deep wells in our hearts deep roots so that we are not easily shaken, so that we can be braced when the storms come because the storms come, so that we can stand firm with established hearts. Think about it this way. If, uh, if you've got a toddler, or let's say anywhere, a child from three to five, three to seven, or something like that, and that child comes running at you, and, and you're ready, and you see the child coming, and you bend down, and there's joy, because you know that child is going to jump up, you're going to grab him in your arms, you're going to swing him around, and then hug that child. Everything's good. 
if you're ready because you're braced. But if you happen to be looking the other way and children being children go charging at you and slam into you and you happen to be holding a cup of coffee and you're getting ready for a Zoom meeting and your cup of coffee spills on you, you know what you're going to be tempted to do. You're going to be tempted to what? Lose your temper. To be impatient. And so the call here when, when, when James says establish your hearts is this. Brace, brace, brace. Be ready. Be patient. Establish your hearts. Deep, rich truths. And those deep, rich truths are the things that are going to provide stability when big, long-term issues hit. Long-term issues like this virus. It's going to help us to endure. And it's not only in the long-term things, but it's in the short-term things as well. Because what's happening as we're all cooped up together is as it turns out, the people with whom we're cooped up or apart from, but, but those people whom we love, our spouses and our children and our parents and our brothers and sisters and our housemates or whoever else is around us, it turns out that they're not perfect. <laughs> it turns out that just like us, they're not perfect. And, and these tight quarters are revealing our imperfections. It's a bent and crooked world and you can't understand it and you can't fix it. And so, as the writer of Hebrews says, we have need of endurance. We have need of it. And so the call becomes to be patient because God is love. Love is patient. Let's pray. Lord, we pray.